Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting exit plan with no spaces to 44222. That's exit plan to 44222. Again, text exit plan to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, thanks again so, for being with us. I appreciate you uh, joining me today. It's always a pleasure when guests come back on so we can continue our conversation. And uh, my next guest is Chris Larson. He's been on with us before. He's a founder and managing partner of Next Level Income. And Chris has been investing in and managing real estate for over 20 years. Get this, while he was a college student, he bought his first rental property at age 21. And from there, Chris expanded into development, private lending, buying distressed debt, as well as commercial offices, and ultimately syndicating multifamily properties. And he began syndicating deals in 2016 and has been actively involved in over $225 million of real estate acquisitions. So uh, Chris is really passionate about helping investors become financially independent. We asked him to come back and, and share some more tips and ideas and strategies with us. Welcome back, Chris. Bill, thanks for having me back on. Always great to talk to you. Yeah, my pleasure. I think it was it was very interesting uh, where we we talked a, about a lot of uh, concepts last time uh, about how you uh, believe multifamily real estate is the holy grail of real estate investing and uh, using a concept called infinite banking um, and uh, what metrics are most important when evaluating investments. So I think it'd be very interesting uh, for our listeners to, if we go a little deeper on those topics, but first, if you would just share us a, a, a little bit of a recap on your background and, and uh, what you, what you do um, with uh, people that work with you. Yeah, no, thanks for the opportunity, Bill. And if, if you're listening today and you want to learn a little bit more, and I don't cover it uh, in depth, you can get a free copy of my book. We'll talk about that here at the end. Um, but, yeah, I've been investing since I was actually younger than 21, but that's when I bought my first piece of real estate. And it was a little single-family uh, townhouse in Blacksburg, Virginia, when I was in college. And I will tell you that real estate is a get-rich-slow game. I put less than $3,000 down. And that investment has turned into uh, several hundred thousands of dollars in equity and several thousands of dollars in cash flow um, a month. And so that's just what the power of compounding and a good plan um, can do. You know, after starting that and managing my own portfolio of single-family rentals for over a decade, really about 15 years, um, I ended up specializing transitioning into commercial real estate, which is what you mentioned, Bill, um, multifamily specifically. And we also do some other things like self-storage, um, commercial office, and a couple other different areas. But um, as I talk about in my book and I talked about kind of in the first uh, segment when I was on, I'm a demographics guy. I spent 18 years in the medical device industry. I went into that industry because of the strong demographics that the baby boomers had for needing surgery. 
Um, and what I saw going into multifamily almost 10 years ago was the millennials were renting. They needed places to live. And what's interesting as we enter this decade is that the age group that has eclipsed the millennials in terms of runner growth is actually baby boomers. So I think if you learn anything today from our conversation, it's follow the demographics and, and put a good long-term plan in place. Excellent. You know, a lot of our listeners, of course, Chris, are business owners. And I just was talking to a fairly young business owner the other day, and he said, I've, I've accumulated some money and I'm going to buy some property. And I said, well, what, what, what's your thought? And he said, well, I was thinking about buying uh, an, an office building for my business because I've got to pay rent to somebody. And, you know, I've talked to a lot of owners who, who tell me that, uh, that are older owners that have said one of the best things I ever did was bought the building that I my my business is in because heck it's it's worth as much or more than my business is now at this point. Um, however, this gentleman was saying, you know, I talked to someone else and they said, you know, you're probably better off going into uh, residential. And I wasn't sure if you uh, if you what your take would be on that, and if that's been colored by the the COVID situation where a lot of people are wondering whether workers are going to be using commercial office space as much. What's your take on the, the, the office building? If someone just had, you know, saved up some money to invest in real estate and they own a business, should they buy their building or should they look at uh, a multifamily type of a uh, real estate uh, project? Yeah, that's an, that's an excellent question. There's, there's a lot in there, actually. So uh, we talked previously about uh, using high cash value life insurance for this infinite banking concept that you mentioned um, to fund these deals. And utilizing that concept, you end up using your own life insurance policy as collateral uh, when, you, when you pull money out of those policies. So it's kind, of, it's kind of the same thing. What better collateral for a life insurance company than the policy that they own that's on, on you, right? So it's, it's kind right. of similar. I, I did this. My wife and I both have our own businesses, and we bought a property in downtown Asheville, which I can almost see here from my office window at my house. And we did it because we were looking for a place to rent. So I think it's a fantastic idea because um, as, your, um, uh, as your business owner said, hey, I got to rent from somebody, what, what better business owner to collect rent from than yourself? Um, it also, if you talk to a proper tax strategist, they're going to tell you uh, you have a lot, of, a lot of options when it comes to owning your building um, because now you have two different entities that you can move both revenue and expenses through. So it's going to give you um, potentially some uh, more optimized tax solution. And then the simple answer to your question is do both. I think that if you're a business owner and you own your own property, and we have a lot of investors that do this, they have properties that they own that they have income coming in from, typically from themselves, sometimes from others as well. And then they also invest in passive real estate deals. And when you do that, and I can't really get too deep into it in uh, the short segment today, um, but it's certainly something if you want to reach out to me, we can, we can kind of go through, I can put you in touch with some resources. You can, end it up, you can end up achieving a higher blended return between the two. They actually complement each other. So an active piece of real estate that you own and a passive deal, if properly structured, that you invest in, combined together, can actually have higher total returns, which surprises a lot of people. And again, I'm not, I'm not an accountant. I'm certainly not your accountant if you're listening. Um, so you'd have to verify all of this information. But I think it's a fantastic area to explore. 
Excellent. So uh, under the uh, the guise of, uh, you know, like you said, tax planning, we, we encourage you to talk to your tax planners and, and pencil all this stuff out. But uh, the concept of, uh, of uh, business office real estate, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, where do you think that's uh, – what should you stay away from these days in that marketplace? Yeah, so I got I got to gaze into my crystal ball here. So I'll start off by saying I own commercial office property. I do not think that offices are going away. I think contrary. I think people crave the experience of being together again, you know, to, to collaborating and doing this. Um, but I do think it's going to change. I think people are going to work from home more. I just mentioned that I'm sitting here in my or standing in my. Uh, home office instead of the, my office downtown. So there's a good example of it. Um, but that being said, I think it's all regional. So if you're interested in buying a piece of commercial uh, property, especially an office property, you need to consider where it is. And you have to look again at the demographics. People are moving from high cost, high tax, low business friendly areas like the Northeast to places like the Southeast. They're also moving to uh, the Midwest and lower cost areas. Um, and businesses are moving to you know, suburbs in a lot of cases, or Florida is a big uh, beneficiary of a lot of this. So I, I think it's, you have to be very careful when you look at commercial office today. You have to make sure that you're, you're not putting a blanket statement on it and saying it's all good or it's all bad, and you have to make sure that if you're looking in an area that it's growing um, a lot quicker than the national average is and it has good long-term trends when it comes to that. Okay, let's switch gears to uh, to multifamily uh, because, as you mentioned, there are a lot of a lot of trends going on with people moving to different areas right now, driving up some prices in some areas. But uh, if I'm in I'm in California, and let's say, boy, I'm, I really would love to get involved in some a project in the on the uh, in the southeast, uh, or in maybe even Austin, Texas, or somewhere like that. Maybe somewhere that's not quite up to its prime, like maybe Austin is yet. How do I start? getting involved in those areas from where I sit, how, what's the process to, to get, get involved? I don't, you know, California real estate is very expensive right now, but I'd love to diversify and get into some other areas. How did you, how did you do that? Yeah, so uh, there's three areas, Bill, that I tell investors they should look out for when they're evaluating a deal. Um, number one that you mentioned is geography. So the first thing you want to do is decide where you want to invest. And we like to invest in areas that are, are big cities that are growing faster than national average. So the southeast is chock full of these. Cities like Charlotte, Raleigh, Greenville, South Carolina, uh, Orlando, Florida, which is a surprise to a lot of people because it got hit pretty hard last year, but we're actually acquiring a property there um, right now, we're going to be closing just in a couple weeks on that property. Orlando is one of the top five markets in the country right now for multifamily because companies, hedge funds even, from New York are moving to Florida, and it's, it's really uh, got some outsized growth. Um, Phoenix, Dallas, Houston, Texas, those markets are all um, really, really nice markets as well. So once you've decided on a geography that makes sense for you, maybe you start talking to some operators that work in that space. Um, this is, this is a challenge for some people, but you want to talk to operators like ourselves, learn about what projects they have, have they invested in those areas before, and then ask them those questions. Hey, Chris, why are you buying this property in Orlando? What is it that you like about the Orlando market? And then after you're comfortable with the geography and the operator, then start looking at the deal. I know 
investors, they flip right to the returns and they say, hey, what, what is this property going to produce? Well, if you have a bad management team or you're in a geography where it's instead of thriving, it's dying, like a lot of the old cities up in the Northeast um, or, you know, some of these, tax, these higher tax states like California where you're having a lot of exodus of people leaving, it's, you're going to be swimming upstream when it comes to that. So, again, pick your geography. Find an operator that operates in that geography that you're comfortable with that can answer your questions and educate you. And then at that point, you can start looking at these deals. And that's exactly what we specialize in, Bill, is working with investors that maybe they don't have the time or they're not in that geography, but they want to own and be a part of an investment there. Excellent. Now, what what uh, impact do you think we're, we're sitting here uh, doing this interview in, in April on tax day, or what was tax day, April 15th, 2021? Uh, tax law changes are being talked about daily. What impact do you think that will have on the migration of, of people from say, high-tax states like New York or California to uh, zero state tax kind of states? Yeah, I think we've, I mean, we've seen this happening over the past decade, and it, it's only going to continue. Um, I think the, the pandemic has accelerated the trend because now, because you don't have, and we've kind of touched on this um, in, in previous parts of this conversation, if you're not tied down to an office, yeah. then you can live in an area that has a higher quality of life and a lower cost of living. And you're just going to continue to see that accelerate, um, I think, uh, faster and faster. Yeah, what's interesting is I was just reading about uh, Truckee, California, which is up by Lake Tahoe area out here. And they're saying that a lot of the local residents are now starting to move out of Truckee because so many people migrated there after COVID, that they've ruined their quality yeah. of life. So <laughs> things happened. Uh, migration, you know, <laughs> migration patterns yep. create migration patterns, I guess, on top of there. So, uh, and so Absolutely. you talked about the infinite banking concept and establishing a, a high cash value life insurance policy. Do you uh, recommend that people do that early in life? Obviously, you did. And, and to what extent, how do you go about designing something like that? Yeah, so um, I was a licensed life insurance agent back in my early 20s, so I've, I've had some experience with this over the past couple decades. And really, the younger you are, the healthier you are, the lower the cost of the insurance. So it's always more beneficial, and it's kind of like investing in general. The earlier you start, the better, the more it compounds. It's the same within, within uh, one of these life insurance policies. And a lot of people may be surprised to learn that these policies gain equity, just like a piece of property that you have a mortgage on, which is pretty cool. Um, So, yeah, we actually have a resource on our page. So if you go to nextlevelincome.com, you can get a couple things here to help you out in your your process. You can check out our banking page. We have some videos and a white paper that talks specifically about this. Um, You need to work with a specific advisor who knows how to structure these policies. And what I mean by that is if you go out and you buy a typical life insurance policy, the agent is going to ask you how much insurance you want, and they're going to build your policy around that. What the group that I work with does is we build the policies around how much cash value you want. So the benefit of that is you end up building cash value faster, and the cost of the insurance is lower. So if this is a, if this is a strategy, if this is something that is a good fit for you, I would recommend talking to a group that's experienced in structuring these policies, um, 
to, to help benefit investors or business owners um, versus like you're, you're just your traditional typical insurance agent that might be down on the corner. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. There are, there are life insurance is, it's not just one type of product. It's uh, multiple types of products with multiple types of funding strategies. And it's very important to work with someone who's looking out, you know, for, to achieve your objectives, not their objectives uh, on a policy. So when you're, when you're working uh, and helping people looking for the next projects, uh, what are some of the the most important metrics that you employ. Uh, we talked about this a little bit in our last interview, but I think it would it would help our listeners to hear that one more time. What metrics are most important when evaluating investments? Yeah, so let's talk specifically about a piece of, of commercial real estate. So if you're a business owner, which I know you have a lot of listeners or most of your listeners are, Bill, um, the great thing about multifamily, for instance, is that it's valued on net operating income, which is much like a business, right? So you have this net operating income figure. So when we're buying a property, um, the first thing, we, we go from a high level. Again, we want to be in a geography that's, that's a fast-growing market that's growing faster than the rest of the country. So let's say we identify a market um, like Orlando, Florida, that we like to be in. We then want to target areas that are high income. So if we have a property that we're looking at, we want to say, okay, if these rents are going to be, say, $1,500 a month, we want to make sure that the average income in that area is about three times that per month. So that would be about $4,500 a month, you know, call it uh, $50,000 to $60,000 a year at a minimum. And the reason is, you know, if you have renters in the area that are earning $40,000, they probably can't afford a $1,500 a month payment. But if you have renters that are earning, say, eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollars $100,000, like in the area that we're buying the property in Orlando, then $1,500 is very reasonable and actually pretty affordable um, when you consider that. So from a geographic perspective, you want to identify the large geography that's, that's growing in a, in a very fast way, lots of employers. You want to have high income locally. Then at that point, as you drill down into the property, what we like to look for is inefficiencies in management. So if you're looking at net operating income, you want to look for ways to drop the expenses. So if we can be better operators, we can lower the expenses. And then we also want to look for creative ways that we can actually raise the income. So one of the things that we've been doing is we've been implementing uh, uh, Internet and becoming the Internet service provider. So we're looking for ways to not only increase the income by improving the property, and increasing rents organically, but also look for creative ways. That might also include installing washer dryers. So we're looking for ways to increase both the top line as well as decrease the bottom line. That's going to allow us to increase the delta, drive the NOI higher, which is going to allow us to predictably increase the value of the property over time, which means our investors get higher cash flow and ultimately a higher return. Excellent tips, ideas, and precautions for our listeners. Again, once again, Chris, you came through shining uh, with uh, with great examples. I really appreciate it. Uh, the website is nextlevelincome.com. Uh, get in touch with Chris and find out, uh, you know, what what he's up to, what how they might be able to help you understand more about this. Uh, and uh, again, uh, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to to have uh, one uh, additional interview with me. And uh, look forward to the next time we get to talk, Chris. Likewise, Bill. It's always my pleasure. Thanks so much for the opportunity.
Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio.